And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. It's 6.06 on this Monday as we... uh Start heading into the last half of the month of July, and of course, as we've talked about here before, a couple of things that uh, typically kind of happen in the summer months. You typically have a good first two weeks of July, last two weeks of July and August, September, eh, not so good. Um, and this morning, Dow's looks to be down about 360, 370 points at the open, so be down about 1% this morning kind of across the board. So a little bit of weakness in stocks, of course. This follows last week's correction as well, really kind of in the S&P, and particularly on Friday, had a bit of a sell-off there. And this is just after tagging all-time highs. And, you know, this is something we kind of talked about a bit last week here on the show is that, you know, with our money flows kind of, you know, our, our sell signals kind of triggered here, but money flow is still positive, but weakening that, you know, this market could kind of hold up here for a little bit. Now, today we're going to basically break through some early support for the markets, and then that's going to put us close to testing important support at the 50-day moving average. Now, that moving average, that 50 days of pricing, that 50-day moving average, right, that's actually been very, very good support here for the markets really ever since November of last year. So, Again, it's not you know time to go panic and sell everything you go to cash because we've been warning you that we would have a correction here a little bit sooner than later. That's beginning to kind of work its way here through the system. And again, markets were just very overbought, very extended, very exuberant. And, and now there's kind of this awakening right within the markets that, hey, inflation is really here, right? We've got prices going up on a variety of things. And now we're starting to see that kind of way back into the consumer as well. Uh, recent consumer confidence numbers out and expectations uh, for consumer confidence are dropping. Forward expectations on confidence are dropping here because of rising inflationary pressures, right? This is the whole trying to just make ends meet and pay bills. Interesting chart out this morning from Morning Consult to basically talking about how many people feel pressure to go back to work. And I thought it was interesting. People with only less than one month of employment benefits left, right? So this is people that have less than 30 days before their unemployment benefits run out. Only 40% of them felt pressure to go back to work. And if, you, if, they was, if it was two months or three months, that number dropped even more. So again, not a tremendous amount of pressure here for you know, people feeling like they've got to go back to work to make ends meet. But yet at the same time, we're seeing very sharp increases in credit card spending, right? So consumers are having to resort to credit cards to make ends meet. That's not surprising here. Uh, cost of living goes up, and even if I've gotten if I've gotten a raise, or if my wages have gone up mildly here, and that's what we've seen is basically wages coming up a bit here, but not anywhere close to keeping up with the rate of inflation. Well, we're having to see people now shift into credit cards. Now, this the, quick side note here: this is a little bit important about retail sales, right? So, retail sales numbers were reported on Friday. And those numbers showed an uptick. And everybody's kind of excited, right? See, consumers still around. Hold on a second. Previous two months were pretty negative. 
very rarely do you have three months of negative retail sales outside of a recession. So again, you know, that's one thing to pay attention to. Two negative months of retail sales, not surprising you get a bounce. People kind of contract, but they do have to go buy stuff. They have to buy groceries and toilet paper and those type of things. So not surprising you saw a bit of a bump in retail sales last month. But two reasons. One, we don't measure retail sales on total volume right? Retail sales are measured on dollar value. So here's the example of, of why this is important. Let's say that all retail sales are measured in terms of just one gallon of gasoline, as an example. So last month, Brent goes and he fills up his gas tank and he puts 10 gallons of gas in his car at a dollar a gallon. So he spends $10. So retail sales for the month are $10. This month, he goes back, he puts 10 gallons of gas in his car. Now, he didn't buy any more gasoline. But now the price of gas is $2, and now he spent $20. So retail sales now show an increase to $20, right? So we see an increase in retail sales, but we're not selling more product. We're just selling it at a higher price. And this is how inflation begins to impact some of these economic numbers and the way that we calculate them. So if we go in and back out retail sales and back inflation out of retail sales, they weren't quite as strong as they looked on the surface, but that's not surprising because people don't have any more money to spend. And that's why they're now resorting back to credit card debt. Now, this has some consequences as we move forward, particularly as unemployment benefits are running out. And as in about two months, we're going to have three to four million people come back into the labor force. Now, that also has a negative effect. A lot of people are talking about this, that in the next couple of months, we're going to have this massive surge of people come back to the labor force. Labor force participation rates are going to go up. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be terrific. Not so much because when those 4 million people start to show up back in the labor force, that gives who pricing power? Gives the companies pricing power. Hey, I've got six people applying for this job. The amount of wages I'm going to pay for that job now go down, not up, Right. So now we have inflationary pressures and we have a deflationary pressure on wages because of the number of people now coming back to work all at one time. And this is going to be something that surprises a lot of folk is that they come back to looking for a job is that A, those jobs that are available right now won't be there. And number two, <laughs> wages won't be rising that much. So again, couple of, this is part of the problem with you know putting artificial impulses into the economy it dissuades people from working and it and it and it creates an economic disruption on the supply demand curve on where pricing comes into play and that's one thing that we never really talk about much it's not something that the mainstream media talks about but this is simply just kind of how market dynamics work over time but it, it will have an impact of being a deflationary pressure on wages and this is particularly the case as long as inflationary pressures on prices in terms of consumer products, et cetera, continue to remain high. Now, uh, you know, talking about inflation here over the next few months, we're going to start to see those inflationary pressures fade a bit here. Already starting to see some cracks in the used car market. We're starting to see some cracks in the housing market because of high prices. And again, one of the best cures for high prices are high prices because it stops people from spending. 
The other concern here over the next couple of months is going to be this Delta variant, right? I mean, there's a lot of concern already talking about, you know, this Delta variant, what's happening and, you know, is this going to lead to more mass mandates, more shutdowns of economic activity? Uh, do people, because of the mainstream media headlines, kind of putting the fear factor in there, do people kind of curtail their spending as well? Do they step back and go, well, you know, I was going to go to an, uh, an Astros game or I was going to go to a San Antonio Spurs game. I'm not now because of the Delta variant, right? I don't want to risk myself. Um, so, you know, this is one of those potential issues as well. Look, I don't think in a minute that Texas is, in particular is going to shut down again, but there's other states already kind of starting to talk about some of these things. Los Angeles, Orlando, Las Vegas talking about, well, you know, mass mandates back inside of buildings. Now, it's a suggestion right now. They're not, they're not actually moving towards it, but this is how it started last time as well started out with a suggestion hey you should wear a mask the next thing you know there's some legislator that comes along and says oh no you have to wear a mask now that deters economic activity that's not what you need at this point of the game where you have a very overvalued market you have a very price sensitive market and now you've got a potential for an economic recession stuck right back in the middle of thing if we start to take negative actions on the economy. Be right back after the break. This is how I show my love. I made it in my mind because I blame it on my ADD, baby. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Declare your financial independence. Our next Candid Coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestment.com. Advice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. RealInvestmentAdvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Green and welcome back to the show this morning. It's... Uh, 617 as we get this uh, Monday edition of the show underway. And again, like I said this morning, Dow's going to be down a good bit this morning, about 371 points at the open right now. That's going to change a little bit here as we get closer to the market open this morning. Uh, S&P and NASDAQ also pointing lower. Uh, S&P will be down about 37, 38 points this morning. NASDAQ not too far behind it. Here's the the the, the issue, though. And, and again, this is something that we've kind of talked about here you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been suggesting that, hey, you know, we're, we're kind of in that phase of the year where we can have a correction. That correction started last week. Looks like we're going to continue a bit more of that today. Now, is this now is this the big crash, right? Is this the big bear market? No, that's not what this is. It's just a correction, right? We got we were kind of very overbought, very extended. One thing we've been writing about in our newsletter over the last couple of weeks is we said, look, you know, we have this condition in the market of this kind of overbought, overextended, overly exuberant period of the market. And that's going to limit upside in the near term. I mean, everybody's in, right? Every, everybody that wanted to be in is in the market. Um, retail, retail investors, you know, doing their thing. Interestingly enough, over the last 
you know, couple of weeks in particular. Um, if you take a look, for example, at the number of people trying to learn how to day trade, right, or to trade stocks online, or to um, how to invest in terms of Google Trends, those have all died off, right? Retail traders have kind of vacated the premises, so to speak. They were like, okay, I tried it. It was fun. Now I'm going back to work or whatever they're doing, uh, going back to play video games, etc. Don't know, but they are definitely kind of, of lost interest, so to speak, in the markets. Um, take a look at AMC and GameStop. They're down roughly about 40, 50% from their peak here recently. And that tends to do a good job of that, right? So, you know, I kind of get you know, when, whenever you have this kind of exuberance or hype in the markets, it kind of sucks everybody in. So I go, it's easy money. I can just make money quick, throw it in the market. It just goes up. Cryptocurrency, the same way, right? Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, Dogecoin, it's a real name. Um, you know, all those, those were the hot ticket, right? I just threw money at them and I was just printing money overnight. That has stopped working. And it's not worked here in a while. Bitcoin hasn't gone anywhere. Ethereum hasn't gone anywhere in a while now. It's down again this morning. Um, AMC and GameStop, they pop, but they've been selling off. So if I jumped in late, you know, I've already lost, you know, 30, 40, 50% of my money on those. And so people, when people lose money, they go, well, that's not nearly as fun as making money. Right. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like gambling in Vegas. So, you know, when you, when you go into Vegas, and you sit down at a poker table and you're, you're winning every hand, hand after hand is just coming up and, and you're just you're just raking in the chips. It's all fun. And the problem, and there's this, there's why there's this old saying called the house always wins. The way odds work, and and you know, and this is the one thing that people uh, it's always very interesting, you know, people I've never met anybody that went to Vegas that actually lost money. Every time people I know go to Vegas, they're like, oh yeah, I won a lot. Just great, awesome. <laughs> Good job. But there's a reason that there's billions of dollars in profit for casinos. And it's because eventually, and this is just habit, right? Now, this isn't anything about gambling, right? This is just how it works psychologically. You know, this is why when you go into a casino, there's lots of lights and bells and flashing, you know, sirens and everything else going on, right? It's also why the temperature is cold. And it's also why there's a very attractive young lady walking around giving you free drinks all night. It's to keep you at the tables. Stay cold. Keeps you awake. Keep you liquored up. Don't think as well. And lots of flashing lights and bells and whistles and people winning creates that dopamine effect. All of it is designed to keep you at the table long enough for the odds to kick in. Because eventually the house always wins because that's the way the odds are designed. Eventually you are going to lose most or all of your money. And this is why when most people go to Vegas, they leave broke. Now I don't mean like personally broke, like completely, but they go in, they say, I'm going to spend $100, $500, whatever the number is, but they typically leave without that money and it stays in Vegas. Now, yes, there are people that are professional gamblers that can make money gambling, but they know the rules, they know how to play the odds, they know how to count cards, all that, right? They have an edge that gives them an advantage. Same thing in investing, right? Robinhood, as an example, created an app that replicated the dopamine effect 
of Vegas. There for a while, they had to remove it now because they got so many complaints. But there for a while, when you bought a stock, confetti would go all over your screen, right? Woo! Just like the flashing lights and whistles and sirens in Vegas, right? But again, as long as you're winning, right? As long as I'm at the table winning, what do I do when I'm at the table and I'm winning? I stay at the table. Eventually, when I start to lose, I stay at the table because I'm going to start winning again just any minute. It's going to turn, right? And I'm going to start winning back. And I'm going to get back to where I was. And then we begin the psychological trap. Okay, I came in here with $100. I'm down to $50. But as soon as I get back to $100, I'll take my chips and go home. But then you get back on the winning streak, right? Now you're back to $100. You're back to $110. I'm not going to leave now. I'm I'm on a streak. And then you start to lose again. And this is the same psychology that affects investors on a regular basis in the markets, is that we do exactly these same psychological behaviors. We anchor to our original price, right? Our $100, our $100 bet. We get anchored to that. As soon as I get back to that $100, I'm out of here. But then you don't. We start to use hindsight bias, Right? Well, I was doing really good then, so as soon as I get back to doing good, I'll be okay, and then I'll leave. But we don't. And these are all those psychological traps that we get into that make us worse investors over time. And this is why it's so hard for people to sell and take profits. This is why it's so hard for people to sell losses. Right? I'm, I'm losing money. I don't want to get out now. It might come back. And see, that's the worst thing that happens to an investor. Good example of this was AMC just a couple of months ago. Right, So AMC had spiked up really sharply. Then it lost about 20 or 30% of its value. And so people that sold out, they go, okay, I've got to stop here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get stopped out. And so they get stopped out. They protect their capital. Right, Good job. But then the stock goes right back up to the old high. And so they go, man, I'm missing out. I better get in. And so they get in, and this time it falls, and they go, well, it's going to come back because it came back last time, right? Hindsight bias. Problem is it doesn't come back. It just keeps going. Now they're down like 40 50% from the peak. It doesn't matter, Right? Sometimes you're going to sell something and it's going to come back, right? And that's okay. You can buy it back. But it doesn't mean that if you sell something at a stop loss and then it comes back, it doesn't mean you get rid of your stop losses because they didn't work, right? They did their job. And that's the important thing. to. to, This is what every professional gambler understands. They understand the risk of loss. They understand their odds of winning on any hand. They understand when to fold. And when they fold, they lose money, right? That's their stop loss. I've got money on the table. I'm looking at my hand, right? As I'm getting, I'm playing five card, you know, draw, whatever I'm playing, right? Texas Hold'em, right? Cards are flipping up. 
right? I've got my two cards in Texas Hold'em, and I'm watching the cards on the flop, right? So as those cards come out, I'm evaluating my hand. Well, I'm betting on every card that comes out. So I've got chips on the table, right? So I've got my investment on the table. Then the card comes up and it says, um, you know, the card I was looking for didn't come up here. And so I've either got to, I've got, I've either got to meet my call or I've got to fold. And that's the stop loss for a gambler. Professional gambler knows when to fold, right? Kenny Rogers got to know when to hold him, right? That's, the stop loss for a gambler. Same thing with investing in a stock. Got to have your stop loss. And all it means is, is that doesn't make you a loser that you sold a, sold out of a stock that was losing money. You're not a loser, right? You just bought the stock at the wrong time. Doesn't, does it mean it's a bad stock? No, it doesn't. It just means I bought it too high. So when it does get cheaper and gives me the right setup, right? I've got the right hand. I want to bet on it again. Look, there's only 52 cards in a deck. In any given game, there's a reasonable possibility you might get the same hand to bet on twice, right? Pair of queens. It can happen. Should I not bet on it the second time because I lost money on it the first time? course not same way with the stock there's some reason people have this attitude that well i lost money on amc last time so i'm not going to buy it again why stock doesn't know you doesn't care about you and this is the other thing that investors make a mistake on stocks don't know you or care about you <laughs> so just because you think it's a good stock doesn't mean everybody else in the market thinks it's a good stock so Pay attention to price. Price tells you whether or not you're right or wrong in your opinion. So, you know, this is kind of what's going on in the markets. But when we come back, I, I want to I want to shift gears here a bit and talk a little bit about today's uh, blog post. It's on the website talking about knowledge versus experience and why most investors end up losing money. Goes along with this concept, but we'll talk a little bit more specifically about the article. When we come back from the break. I'm your host Lance Roberts. Don't go away. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Declare your financial independence. Our next Candid Coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff, Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And 
morning. Welcome back to the show this morning at 6.33. Want to talk a little bit about, uh, kind of continue our conversation about kind of investing and gambling, kind of this demise of the retail trader here uh, as of recent. And it's just been, it's a, it's not a surprising event. And, you know, what, what we saw happen here over the last, you know, year or so in particular, really since the economic shutdown, we started giving people money to spend and we shut down sports betting. We saw the shift of sports bettors go from the sports betting market to the investing market to fill that gap, right? That void of being able to bet on sports, that kind of gambling mentality. And so we saw a lot of that, right? We saw this kind of big shift over. Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports, others all got into the stock market. Now they're gone. I haven't seen anything from Dave Portnoy here in a while. Um, he's gone back to sports betting. You know, there's not a lot of differences um, in gambling. And what we've seen over the last year or so, a lot of people are going, well, this is totally new. Never seen this before, right? Retail, retail traders just piling into the markets. True, they were. But, you know, I wrote an article uh, previously called The Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. and really kind of talking a little bit about Charles McKay's uh, work on bubbles and psychology, right? How, how it works. And um, as he wrote, essential is the understanding of the role psychology plays in the formation and expansion of financial manias. From the 1711 South Sea bubble to the 2000 dot com crash, all bubbles form from a similar panic by investors to chase ongoing speculation. That's absolutely correct. And we've talked about this before is that what we've seen here over the last you know, year or so is not new, right? Robinhood didn't invent anything new. They just put it in your hand rather than on a computer screen. In 1999, saw exactly the same thing. Saw Barron's talking about a squeeze play, right? Same thing. Uh, you know, this this uh, kind of squeeze play we see in GameStop. It was Barron's back in 1999, Forbes. I, I said that wrong here. Uh, but back in 1999, Forbes, not Barron's, Forbes wrote about the very same thing. A bunch of kids tormenting Wall Street. Same thing that we saw with the Barron's cover of these Robin Hood traders, these Reddit traders going after AMC and GameStop, Right. You know, that whole tournament is like, oh, this is new. We've never seen it before. Yeah, we do. We saw it back in 1999. Just saw it on, it was different back then. We had bulletin boards. <laughs> Very different, you know, but same thing. Young kids coming into the markets, 1999, peak of the dot-com bubble, easy money to make. We had trading, we had, we had people opening up trading floors, they like take over a floor of a building, right? And they just put in a bunch of computers and people come in, they lease a computer, sit down and day trade. 1999. Ended badly, of course, in 2001 and two. And is this time going to end badly? You know, maybe, maybe not, right? Sure, this time could be different for a variety of reasons. We've talked about that before. It's very possible. Not likely, but it's very possible. And it's funny because back in 1999, Jim, actually, uh, this was March of 2000. Jim Cramer on CNBC came out with his winners of the new world. 724 Solutions, Ariba, Digital Island, Exodus Communications, Infospace.com, Inkatobi, Mercury Interactive, Sonera, and Verisign. Um, <laughs> Verisign was $258 back then. You know, it's in the $100 range now. 
most of those either went away at very low dollar amounts. They were acquired for 724 um, solutions was $240 and it was acquired in 2006 for 336, $3.36, right? Um, Ariba Networks uh, was $173 in 2000. It was acquired in 2012 for $45 a share. So huge losses on these companies. Access Communications went bankrupt altogether. Out of all the winners of the new world stocks, only one is really still in existence as VeriSign. And Infospace, they changed their name to Blue Cora, Blue Cora in 2012. They trade 16, 18, 20 bucks now. But the point about this is, is that this was the same type of attitude that we saw back then, we saw today. Right, Jim Cramer recently on CNBC talking about AMC and GameStop. These are the these are the new stocks to own. Right, he's he's all in with the with the Wall Street Reddit crowd. Fifty percent lower. Haven't heard much about it lately from him. This is the problem with the media, though, and ultimately with this idea of knowledge and experience and these type of things. Moore's law is is, is famous. And it came from the semiconductor industry. And there's an old fable that talks about a king promises a reward for inventing a game of chess. And the inventor asked for just one single grain of rice on the first square of the chessboard, two on the second, four on the third, and so on. And the king says, well, that's a very simple request to fill. No problem. You got it. What the king didn't understand was is that by the time that you double the rice grains, to the 64th square of the chessboard. It required 18 quintillion grains of sand, uh, sorry, grains of rice, which exceeded the total production of the entire kingdom. So, unfortunately for the inventor of the chess, he was killed rather than getting paid. But this is the idea of Moore's Law. And, and for some context, and this is really kind of talking about the market, you know, we'll, we look at this market and it's just running up. And we're up over 500% from the 2009 lows, right? The, when we were at 666 at the very bottom of the market in 2009, we're up like 500% now. And if you take a look at the exponential growth trend of the markets, we are more deviated above the exponential growth trend of the market today than we were either at the peak in 1999 or in 2007. Last time that we were moderately peaked above the exponential trend line was February of 2020. And now we've just completely blown that, that peak kind of off the chart. And so the point about the conversation is that, you know, our experience right now is one of just a lot of exuberance, right? We've got a lot of exuberance in the market. And for some reason, humans always extrapolate a trend as being unending, right? So whether or not it's population growth or whether it's the stock market rally, whatever it is, you know, Investors at the moment, right, in the middle of the exuberance, they believe that this trend is going to last indefinitely. Whether it was the peak of the market in 1929, 1987, 2000, it was all just going to go up forever. Jim Cramer, top 10 stocks for the next millennia, right? 
didn't work out so well. So this is where really we come into this new dynamic of the markets where we've got, you know, a lot of speculative actions in the markets because of, you know, uh, commission-free trading. We've got, uh, we've got apps in our hands helping us trade stocks without really any emotion or tied to us. Just, is it going up or down? That's the only thing I need to know. I don't do any type of fundamental analysis. Um, we've got a, a rash of Wall Street now pushing product onto retail investors, IPOs, SPACs, uh, just, you know, anything they can do to get some company public. The last time we saw that was in 2000. We were taking companies public that had no revenue, no business model. And we see the same thing today. A rash of companies. We've got more companies coming out that, are, that lose revenue going public than we saw at, at the peak in 1999. But this is what you see in exuberant markets, right? Wall Street is happy to feed you. As long as you're demanding to buy more stuff, they're going to feed your product. They're going to make money. You're going to lose money. That's the way it works. But that's where we are in the markets. And, you know, this is, this. there's an old Wall Street saying that, you know, the man with experience meets a man with money and the man with, the man with money leaves with experience and the man with experience leaves with the money. That's the problem with the markets, right? Those with knowledge have an edge over those that will gain that are going to gain a lot of experience from this market eventually. Now, is that going to happen today? Absolutely not. But at some point here, market dynamics are going to take over. Exponential trends always mean revert, etc. Those that are invested in this market right now that have not gotten the experiences of yet will gain that experience. And that's why, you know, if you listen to individuals, professional investors that have been around this market for 20, 30 years, they're telling you, Hey, we've seen this before. I've been in this market for over 35 years. I've seen this before. And I know how this story plays out. Can I tell you when it plays out? Absolutely not. Have no idea. Am I pretty sure how it's going to end up? Yeah, I'm reasonably certain. All I know, it takes the right catalyst. And it won't matter whether or not the Fed's in there or anything else. All these things end up the same way. The one thing you can count on with certainty is that price mean reversions occur with regularity in the markets. But this is why it's important to avoid getting trapped in the exuberance and making sure that you maintain your discipline on your investing to weather it out for the long term. Be right back after the break. Take your question in the comments and uh, wrap up the show. Don't go away. Your 
listening to The Real Investment Show. Declare your financial independence. Our next Candid Coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And so welcome back to the show this morning. Dow's down about 489 now um, this morning. S&P's down about 50. NASDAQ's going to be down about 135 at the open. Again, not surprising here. Markets have gotten very kind of exuberant here as of late, and we've had a very strong run-up from the, the lows when we got our buy signals. And, and we talked about last week how our buy signals kind of flipped over now, and that was kind of a warning sign for the markets. And we kind of laid out on our show last week that, you know, just because the sell signal triggers, sometimes it can take a little bit of time before the action actually occurs. It's, it's sometimes has a little bit of a lag effect that, you know, kind of investors have to catch up with the signals of the market, but it occurs. And that's kind of what we're seeing here. Now, again, I, I want to be really clear. This doesn't mean the market's about to crash. Um, we're very much within the time frame of a 3 to 5% correction. Could it be more? Absolutely. Could be more. But it doesn't mean it has to be. Right? There's still a lot of exuberance in the markets. Don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of people out there, you know, trying to chase stocks, professionals as well. Um, what we talked about in this past weekend's newsletter, professional managers are playing catch up. They had a tough start of the first quarter. They're trying to play catch up with the markets uh, at this point of the game. So, again, it doesn't mean that we're potentially set up here for a huge crash, but a three to five percent correction, as I've said before, is very likely and it's going to feel worse than it actually is. Right, because we haven't had a five percent correction since last year. So, just something to think about. Um, let's get to our questions this morning on our YouTube channel. If you go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, you can click on our YouTube link. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll notify you when we post stuff out, and uh, but that way you can also join us on our on our live stream chat as well and ask questions and make comments. And people were participating this morning, talking about they heard the mic check early up. Which is unusual that Mike, uh, the Brent, you know, made the mic hot that early because normally I tell him to f off at that point. So <laughs> actually, the mic was was on later than usual. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, but uh, yeah, they were lucky they didn't get the normal response from me. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's it's like one of those hot mic moments that happens every now and then, I guess. Um, so a couple of things here. Um, Just keeps us on our toes. It does. It does. One of these days, I guess we'll get caught probably, but. It's all right. So we were talking a little bit earlier about the Delta variant and, and you know, this is starting to gain some traction. Thought it was, you know, it was interesting that, um, you know, we are trying to pass some legislation in an extended session here in Texas. And one of those has to do with uh, voting laws here in Texas to try to ensure the integrity of the voting game. And uh, a lot of the Democrats left and went to Washington, D.C. to protest the vote because they're saying it would make voting more difficult in Texas, which is exactly the opposite of the case. It actually makes voting easier in Texas. 
but they left to go to Washington, D.C. to in protest, right? Well, five of them now got the, have now gotten coronavirus, which is interesting because I thought they were all vaccinated. But so, but this, you know, this is the whole point about the Delta variant, the risk to the markets. And it's one of the things that's kind of weighing on the market a little bit this morning as well is that, you know, all of a sudden now Los, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Orlando, they're now talking about mask mandates and not, and it's kind of a voluntary, it's a mask recommendation, right? But this is how it started in March of 2020. It started out as a recommendation, you should wear masks in, in public gar- uh, gatherings. And then as the virus gained traction, all of a sudden it was you had you had to wear it. And then after that, we had to start shutting down the businesses. And that's the that's the worry for the markets is all of a sudden, do we try to go back to shutting down the economy? And, and don't think I'm crazy because Janet Yellen even kind of made the same comment that maybe we need to start talking about shutting down the economy. Now, I don't think it's going to happen in Texas at all um, just because of Governor Greg Abbott's positioning on the whole issue. But more importantly... Uh, I don't think the citizens of the state are going to go for another shutdown. Now, in other, uh, in other states, maybe, maybe California, maybe New York, maybe New Jersey, maybe they'll do it. Chicago, um, da- or Illinois, um, you know, Chicago's not a state last time I checked. Um, <laughs> but it's a state, all right. <laughs> it's a state, state of, of mind. confusion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But, you know, again, it, there's there's that risk, right? And that's one of the things that the markets kind of may be honing in on now is that, you know, the markets were overbought and extended. The markets needed an excuse to sell off. And, and this is as good of an excuse as any. But it's something worth keeping a watch on. You know, that if, if we start talking about, you know, really starting to kind of roll back some of the reopening process, that's not going to bode well for the markets. Um. Of course, the hope will be is that the Fed will come in and do more. I'm not sure how much more the Fed can do. They're already doing 120 billion, and rates are at zero. So, how much more can they do at this point? And that may be the real risk here is that we start to roll back the economy, and the Fed's unable to do more. Right? They can't go from zero to 120. They're at 120, and they probably can't go to 240. There's just not enough bill issuance. Um, comment here, I think on the retail front, losing appeal is that not so much trying to make a quick buck, but more of a, a lasting buck. And I think that's right. Um, you know, one of the things that investors typically tend to do is psychologically is that when they start to lose money, A, it's not so fun anymore. You know, it's a lot more fun when the markets go up every day, right? When markets go down every day, not so fun, right? And when you're losing what little bit of money that you had, it's a lot less fun. And this is one thing that always happens. Back in 1999, 2000, back in 2007, I saw a ton of people that were in the markets that left the markets. They're like, that's a stupid game. You just lose money in the the markets. And they never came back. I literally still get, I got an email yesterday from a guy that's been out of the market since 2009 asking what to do now. Should he get in now? Little late, right? 12 years. But that's not uncommon. That is not an uncommon situation. People that lose half their money typically don't come back to the markets for a very long time, if at all, ever, right? 
George Gilder had a list of the 10 stocks that will change your life in 1999. Nine of them are zeros. And this same thing is with Jim Cramer. Uh, absolutely. You know, if you, you know, if you try to do those types of things, they typically work out poorly. Markets are dynamic. And from an investing standpoint, you have to manage money from a dynamic basis. Can you be a fundamental investor in a technically driven market? It's very difficult, but it's possible. But again, you also have to align your expectations with the reality. For instance, in this market, it's all about technology and, and technical momentum. So if I'm buying fundamental stocks, I'm not really participating with the markets. Now, I've got a safer bet buying a fundamental stock because I've got what's called, what Ben Graham called a margin of safety. The fundamentals will support the value of the company. But I'm going to underperform the S&P that's being primarily driven by 10 stocks that are not fundamentally strong. Or fundamental, I shouldn't say fundamentally strong because they're fundamentally strong. They're not fundamentally valued be the correct statement. So I'm going to underperform the market. And the, and the point of being a good investor is, is I've got to be okay with that. I've got to be okay with making 6% or 5% or 4% in a market that's making 10%. I've got to be okay with that because ultimately my fundamentally strong positions are going to pay off and they're going to protect, they're going to protect me when the market rolls over. And long-term I'm going to be paid for the value that I have. But this is the one thing we tend to forget. See, we all get wrapped up in this exuberance. We've got to beat the market. The media is the media is terrible about this because the media is constantly telling you about, oh, this hot stock, that hot stock. Boy, you missed it. If you didn't have, if you didn't own this stock, boy, you really missed out. Um, you know, if you're not beating the index, you need to go find a new advisor. So you just jump from one strategy to the next, to the next, to the next. And generally, most strategies work for about two years, and then that's about it. And then they go through a, a cold period, just like playing, you know, playing poker. You go through a hot streak and a cold streak and then back to a hot streak. And that's the way it works with investors is they, they go chase last year's performance. And so they typically get a little bit of that performance and they wind up losing a whole bunch. And if you don't believe me, just go pull up Callan, C-A-L-L-A-N, Callan's Periodic Table of Returns. They, pu they publish this out every year. I do an article on this every now and then, but if you look at the periodic table of returns, right, it'll show you large cap, mid cap, small cap, international, emerging market. It shows you the return they had, and you can map it out, right? So take so take the the two that are in the the very top performance uh, tier, and then see how many years it was up there, and then look where they go next. Almost every single time, they go from the top tier performance to the very bottom, and then back to the top, and then back to the bottom again. S and P is normally about in the middle. Every once in a while, it'll rise to the top. Sometimes it'll go to the bottom, but most of the time it's right there in the middle. And this is just how markets work over time. And so when you go bouncing from one strategy to the next to the next to the next, it's guaranteed almost that you're jumping from the frying pan into the fire. So this is the point about having a strategy and a discipline, and you have to adhere to it regardless of what else the market is doing. And just be in the game to make money that outpaces. Here's, and here's the real benchmark, right? How much money do you need to make from the markets? That's the real question. How much risk do you need to take to beat the real benchmark? The benchmark is inflation, right? All we're trying to do is grow our savings at a rate 
that outpaces inflation to protect my purchasing power parity of my savings in the future. It's not beating some random benchmark S&P 500. It's inflation. So at 2% inflation or 3% inflation, I don't have to take on a tremendous amount of risk to make sure my savings, right? That money that I've worked very hard for remains there. I don't have to take a lot of risk that, that translates into loss of that of those savings, but just grows it at a rate to outpace inflation. But that's not what the media wants us to do, right? Because it doesn't sell product. Anyway, wraps up the show for today. Thanks so much for joining us. As always, be sure to go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest article is out, Knowledge versus Experience. It's on the website now. Our newsletter, also out this weekend, going through this whole market setup, what we expect to happen, how we're positioning. It's all on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. Be back here tomorrow. See you then. It's a rich man's world. Hey, thanks for watching the show today. Be sure and check out Friday's episode on our YouTube channel on how to manage tax credits and other things you need to know from a financial planning perspective, as well as all our other videos on our YouTube channel, The Real Investment Show.